Tom. Hey, Liam. So you did not hear the news today. Yeah, for once, you're going to teach me about the internet, Liam. So you know how our president, Donald Trump, oh, had, an affair, God. had an affair with a porn star <sighs> that they covered up with uh, hush, hush money? money? Yes, yes, yes. Well, it turns out that he liked to be spanked with a folded up Forbes magazine that had a picture of him and his family on it, and that broke today. So that's what you've missed on Twitter. Oh, no. Wait, how did I miss that? I've been on Twitter today. How? You follow too many people. I've told you this before. This is true. I also... You need to do a Donald great Trump blocked and lots of mentions of him muted. Oh no, he they, it, this was just in his name. Like he didn't tweet a thing about this. So you sh- you should have been able to see this. Uh boy. I mean, like does anything? I am not very surprised really. Right? Didn't he didn't he say that she was reminded him Emma of his... Ivanka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Oh. He also made her watch Shark Week. Welcome to media majors. <laughs> That's true. That's a true thing. This is a podcast about media and stories and friendship and fun. I'm Liam Sr. I tell a story about movies and television shows. And I'm Tom Lockney. And I like, I sorry, I'm still reeling a little bit. I really like stories from the culture of video games and the internet. Do you? Because the internet brought us the Forbes spanking thing today. Oh, a boy. story I did not need to know. Man, I actually make a specific mention of Donald Trump in my story, so this is a great little little prepper DJ for everybody. Trump. Like an audio butt plug. Oof. <laughs> ExtremeRestraints.com You're going first. What's our theme? We do a theme. What is our theme this week? Do you not remember? I don't remember. It was like... Life imitating art, imitating life. Article 4, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution. I like big butts and I cannot lie. New states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, but no new states shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state be formed by the junction of two or more states or part of states without the consent of legislatures of the states concerned as well as of the Congress. Basically what that means is that no two states can have sex with one another. No two states? No two states. Like Virginia can't fuck... Wisconsin? Can't fuck West Virginia. That'd be like having sex with your brother. The U.S. Declaration of Independence, quote, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Sometimes we need to break things down and make them better, Liam. In nineteen forty seven, the transistor was not discovered, meaning electronics remained bulky, large, the Americana aesthetic so halted in the fifties, and a very different era began during the Cold War. In their attempts to halt the spread and influence of communism, the United States forms the 13 commonwealths. This is around 1970. Around that same time, China neglects to adopt any free market reforms and their political system begins to recapture that of the Communist Party under Mao Zedong. Mm -hmm. As such, communism strength is felt worldwide and the USSR does not 
collapse. Increasing tensions in world politics lead to the Sino-American War, which in turn causes almost unbearable nuclear tension. Everyone's about to bust, Liam. Mm -hmm. Oh, America's about to bust. China's about to bust. The USSR is about to bust. Everybody's out here. We out here, hey, hey fam, we out here busting. It's so weird that this sounds familiar, but in a way that most history lectures are all boring. <laughs> so basically both countries threaten mutually assured destruction. And on October 2077, as citizens from around the globe pile desperately into underground vaults, the inevitable happens, the bombs fall. Sorry, can you give me that date one more time? Uh, October 2077? Yeah. 2077. That's yeah. what I thought yeah, you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Constitutional authority to act. Right. The current state of California has become governed by a tyranny which rivals those expressed in the above documents. <laughs> Therefore, mm -hmm. the United States Declaration of Independence of, of 1776, the Constitution as adapted in 1783 by the Congress of the United States of America, the Alta California Declaration of Independence of 1836, the Sonoma... <gasps> Proclamation of 1846 and the California State Constitution of 1848 mandate the right, responsibility, the duty of the people who are suffering a long train of abuses and usurpations at the hand of a tyrannical government to abolish and make a new government for the people and for the people under, all caps, GOD. Oh man, that's my favorite Slayer song. <laughs> that's a joke for us because I was air drumming the entire time Tom was saying that. Man, the one time we should have taped an episode. That was fun. California, specifically the South, was massively ravaged by the nuclear hell fire. Under its burning mountains, four vaults protected the survivors. Unbeknownst to the vault denizens, they were all simply subjects in a massive, wildly unethical social experiment. Vault 15 was lucky. They were merely meant to be kept underground for 50 years and were populated with those of diverse origin, culture, and character. They would manage until 2141 when uh, they're raided and a great schism motivates four different groups to venture out forth into the waste. Three of the groups just become marauder gangs. However, one goes on to settle the peaceful walled city of Shady Sands. <laughs> uh, I vote we have another name rounding session. <laughs> I vote we don't, Gary. This group is led by the vault dweller Aradesh, whose leadership is defined by tolerance, acceptance, and peace. He establishes lots of like trade lines with other settlements. His tolerant ideals form the backbone around which such a strong civil body is formed that it expands and begins to retake the California wastes. This body of government is now known as the New California Republic, and it is the crown jewel of the post-apocalypse that's not real. None of this is real. It's all from the video game franchise Fallout. Assassin's Creed 2. Assassin's Creed 2. Origins back to the need for New California. The U.S. Declaration of Independence of 1776. The Alta California Declaration of Independence of 1830. Jesus fucking Christ. The Sonoma Proclamation declared the right of the people in the states, blah, 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 to throw off the bonds of tyranny. These quotes do not come from a fictional video game. They come from a real world 
document. On Tuesday, November 8th, 2016, in the real world, Donald Trump won the election, proving that you can be unfit for any responsibility, a rapist of both women and children, and a white supremacist, and possess a hundred other disqualifying factors that seemingly grows each day that deem you unable to govern, and you can still find success in the United States government. It's the American way. With 2018 being one of the most crucial state and local election years in regards to the world's future, members from all sides are mobilizing to ensure their agendas. One such attempt to take command over the future of the country is currently taking place in sunny California. Where headed we up, live. Yeah, where we live, you and I. And maybe, and maybe, listener, you too. <gasps> Everybody who listens to Media Majors lives in California too. In, in their soul. In their soul, in their heart, and that's why legally they're allowed to vote. One such attempt is headed up by a man named Robert Paul Preston. Three names, just like every assassin. Coincidence? I think not. Quote, after years of overtaxation, regulation, and mono-party politics, uh, he means Democrat, the state of California and many of its 58 counties have become ungovernable. The nature of the state becoming ungovernable has caused a decline in essential basic services such as education, law enforcement, fire protection, transportation, housing, healthcare, taxation, voter rights, banking, state pension systems, prisons, safe parks, water resource management, home ownership, infrastructure, and many more. And quote, this is a statement provided behind the new California motion headed by Mr. Robert Paul Preston. It is a new state, or it is intended to be rather, a new state formed from the current most conservative counties. I assure you this is not a coincidence. It will not surprise you to learn that the movement is being hucked around by far-right bigot shells like Jack Posobiec, nor will it shock you that Preston himself believes in the unconscionable conspiracies propagated by anti-Semitic fascist agitprop spokesmen Alex Jones and Glenn Beck. Remember frogs? Remember when Glenn Beck had his whole like quote-unquote liberal turn and everybody and, fucking bought it yep. for some reason? Because he was wearing glasses and sweaters and looked really sad. Yeah, because he, he, he passed the bare minimum test of, I personally don't care for Donald Trump. Yeah. What a, Specifically, Preston believes that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax. That's Alex Jones. Yes, sir. Uh, he believes uh, specifically that it was a drill. And he claims that his years as an education uh, administrator, which should terrify everybody that he held that position. Uh, That's the scariest part of the story. Right? Like, how many kids got, how many, like, schools got taught with this, like, fucking horrible, awful person's politics? Probably a fair amount. And he also believes that the UN's Agenda 21, a motion to help combat poverty, whose positive details and goals can be read clearly and plainly on the UN's online PDF, uh, is a conspiracy to impose, quote, Beck, not the musician, <laughs> centralized control over all of human life on planet Earth. Earth. I'm sure that this has nothing to do with the fact that it is a humanitarian goal centered around fighting poverty in non-white countries. Sure, it has nothing to do with that at all. Not back. Commentators have come to believe that New California will never come to pass, but hey, it might. Donald Trump is the president and anything can be possible. I thought that was a fun little inverse. There's not too much, like, really deep stuff to be found here, but I did think it was like a fun little 
fictional representation of how like the best societies are structured around like tolerance and being open to others even under the incredible under incredibly hostile environments like i think that's something that's very funny about this uh fallout real world comparison is like this dude it's more I- than a comparison i think it's like corollary doesn't feel like a strong enough word but it is so weird that like and maybe it's because we're we're having a sort of like cold war scare again because two psychos are literally tweeting nuke stuff at each yeah, other. Yeah, I mean you can even see that extending uh to the lavender scare which was directed at the queer community with people claiming that Chelsea Manning is like a Russian agent and and also saying some like wicked fucking transphobic shit like hey hey y'all Chelsea, Chelsea Manning's a woman, and she's amazing and wonderful, and we should be so lucky that she's running for Senate. But yeah, no, 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 like, it's it's very uh, fun and interesting to me that, like, I think part of the fall, what made uh, at least the original Fallout games, like, very compelling and uh, striking is that they, they were really committed to like that grounded what if scenario which is like yeah like what if everything fucking went to shit and yeah like, well i mean yeah, the that first does... part of your story felt like something out of a history textbook and, and s- it does that on purpose yeah and some of it does like manifest in dumb ways that like the wasteland is just a bunch of fuck vikings or whatever <laughs> <laughs> somebody i should say somebody said that on twitter and i can't remember who said it I wish it's very good and very true the funniest thing in the world to me F- but F- like it's interesting because it embodies in a lot of ways those conservative fears that like we're under that America's under assault from the fucking commies and shit like that and that like we are under threat from all these outside sources when like hey really like we're the threat. Um the monsters inside the house, bud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your stepdad with the bite mark on his leg is the werewolf. (laughs) But fictionally, the thing that happens is that, like, the tolerant society becomes, uh, like, the quote from the wiki that I was reading is, like, New California Republic becomes a paragon of the waste because it is built on inclusive values, etc. And uh, the inverse of that, like, not totally because we're not living in an inclusive, super safe world. Obviously, it's being run by conservatives and Donald Trump and has, like, a very long history of being terrible to being like genocidal to minorities but i think it's very interesting that in the real world that is much uh more secure for people like preston uh he is seeking to create this new california republic that is very clearly a a ploy to ensure that in 2018 there will be some sort of like republican county whose votes will like weigh a lot because they they tend to to rely on the the quantity not so much the density exactly so yeah this is this is more of a like fun surface level you keep saying fun and i keep having panic attacks thinking about what happens if this all turns out to be true fair 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 but yeah that's my that's my story for this week was i read this new california story and was like hey wasn't that in fallout but but like this is the second time in the the past three years that a proposal to make California something else has happened? Yes, there was, the, like, one, other, there was one other in 2014 headed up by Shocker, a venture capitalist, a really part of a really great bunch. And then there have been a, a couple of other times in which uh, the more conservative counties have tried to like secede from the state. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to hear another story from the media majors. <laughs> Hey, Eric McAdams, it's me, Liam Sr. I am so hungover and feel very sick. Do you have anything you can give me? 
How about a weekly news roundup podcast where I tell you all the horrible news stories from the day, from politics to entertainment to anything else, maybe even some nice, fun, good stories. Who knows? I guess I'll just listen to the Sunday morning hangover cure every Sunday on the Major Cast Network or wherever you get podcasts. That sounds like a good idea. Maybe, maybe listen to it and then take a nap. I'm dying. And we're back. Bow, bow. If I had to climb down to hell itself and wrestle the film out of the claws of the devil, I would have done so. Werner Herzog. <laughs> Carlos Fitzcarraldo was born to an Irish-American father and a Peruvian mother in 1867 and raised in the city of Iquitos, which became the heart of the rubber, rubber boom in South America. Mm. His father was part of the mining district, which inspired Carlos to make his own fortune through resources. In 1879, at the age of 17, he began to make his way into the rubber industry. Eight years later, he was considered one of the most successful rubber barons in all of South America. His biggest accomplishment, and easily most renowned, happened in 1894. He invented those, like, tiny little things. That you turn inside out and it pops up. I wish. That's where the that's where the term rubber boom comes from because the first one was so big and the sound was so loud. He it dis- was very it was very gruesome. A lot of people died that day. A lot of uh, a lot of great Bothans died that day. <laughs> when he discovered a sliver, uh, so in 1894, yeah. he discovered a slither of land between two huge and important ri- river systems, the Urumbamba and the Madre de Dios, and he needed to connect them. So he dragged a motor launch, a big ship named the Contamana, piece by piece, and filled it with rubber across the isthmus uh, between the two lands. He used tons of uh, locals from Iquitos, just, uh, uh, I believe, I there were, uh, at this time, a bunch of different tribes mm-hmm. of different indigenous people. He exploited a bunch of indigenous labor? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he... he but the whole point was he needed to get all of this rubber back, so he literally got a bunch of people to pull a gigantic tanker across a bunch of land to connect oh two rivers. Man, that was, that's fucking wild. Like, back in the day when when we didn't have, like, industrial things, people would just hand, hand drag a motherfucking ship. I'm going to just quickly say a quick trigger warning. I forgot to put this on top. I wrote yeah. it inside. Slavery and exploitation of people happens in this. Yeah. Uh, so it's about to get a little worse. There were white laborers that also helped him, and they uh, were awful and would go into the woods by gunpoint and force people to help drag and put rubber onto horrifying. this boat. Horrifying. Super horrifying. And it's all just so a big boat could be made uh, to be moved to make rubber trading easier. Well, three years later, Fitz drowned. Good. All right. I can live with that. Uh, he was going down the Urumbamba. And a bunch of currents took the rudder off his ship, almost as if nature was like, no. <laughs> and down he went. But that that boat dragging mm-hmm. is crazy. That's that's so ridiculous. Seems like a perfect idea for a movie, right? It doesn't. And seems like the perfect director to get to do it would be Werner Herzog. Oh. Herzog was born in 1942 in Munich, Germany, and became one of the most influential directors of the new German cinema movement. His films often feature ambitious protagonists with impossible dreams, people with unique talents in obscure fields, or individuals who are in conflict with nature. That's all three Fitzcarraldo. Can I can I say something? 
I really like Werner Herzog. I can't bring myself to trust Werner Herzog. Well, I think that's the thesis statement of the story, my friend. <laughs> he scares me. So Herzog thought the story was a little bleak. So he decided to <laughs> change listen- it a bit. Hang on a second. This is a guy who listened to a man mm-hmm. die and then decided to put listening to him die Mm -hmm. into the movie Mm -hmm. and it was too bleak for him yes all right all right uh herzog again another quote suddenly i had my story not a story about a about rubber but one of grand opera in the jungle with these elements of sisyphus say what now here is the plot of the movie fitzcarraldo Mm. Give it to me, Liam. Brian Sweeney Fitzcarraldo Fitzgerald is an Irishman living in Iquitos, a small city east of the Andes in the Amazon Basin in Peru, in the Mm. early part of the 20th century during the rubber belt. Wonderful. I'm so horny for plots. So the name has already changed, but pretty much everything else starts the same. Yeah. His dream was to build an opera house deep in the jungle of Iquitos, uh, but he needed the funding to accomplish it. He had tried multiple ways to find funding, but couldn't. He convinces his girlfriend, who runs a brothel, to fund his expedition for rubber. He figures that if he can get the rubber, he can sell it to build this opera thing. Uh, basically, he gets the idea that he can drag a boat across these two rivers so that he can make the rubber trade, the, mm-hmm. the, the easier system to rubber trade. Most of the scenes are him single-handedly pulling the boat by a rope. And basically, it's the story of that, but it's it's more about, like, the, the, he kind of puts a Sisyphusian thing on it where it's the boat is the boulder, he pushes it up, and it ends up, the boat ends up killing him. Yeah. Because, you know, um, that's what that's really what actually enslaving an entire yeah, group of it's people It's about the like. guy who was the enslaver. Yeah, that's the important part we're not focusing Sisyphus, on. And Sisyphus, the tragic figure, yeah. So this was going to be filmed in, like, the late <sighs> late 70s, right? And yeah. this was kind of like a big special effects boom. Star Wars had been out, Blade Runner is filming. Uh, with a combination of, like, uh, matte painting and miniatures, you could probably get some pretty cool shots with a boat, right? Could you? Well, uh, Herzog said, fuck that. I want to drag an actual 400-ton boat Lord. <laughs> across the jungle. I know I've said this before on Media Majors, but the whole, the whole point of movies is that they're not real. That's the whole point. And so he did. <sighs> not piece by piece. Like the real Fitzcarraldo. No, no, no. Row by row, like my Bible tells me so. No, no, no. Drag the boat. Good God. Oh my God, it's so method. Herzog cast Jason uh, Roberts as uh, Sweeney and Mick Jagger as his sidekick. Wait, wait, hang on. Mm -hmm. What's up? Mick moves like Jagger, Jagger. Well, no, that's a Maroon 5 song. Mick yeah, Rolling Stones, no, Jagger. Yeah, we all know. No, 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 no. That Maroon 5 song came out, and now everybody calls Mick moves like Jagger, that Jagger. That sucks. Mick moves like Jagger, Jagger. That sucks. <laughs> uh, so he got the movie financed in Germany, and he had the cast all squared away, and then he faced his first hurdle. He had not shot one frame when local newspapers had already accused the filmmaker of exploiting the locals. Oh, good. Well, God. And here's the thing. At this point, they were wrong. Oh, oh, oh wait. At this point. At this point, at because this he point. literally just stepped off the plane. The next hurdle came as they were five weeks into filming, with 40% of the shooting complete, when Jason Roberts became ill with dysentery and his doctors would not let him return to complete the film. Mm. Then Mick Jaggert's concert and album commitments forced him to abandon the project, leaving Herzog with half a finished film and both of his stars gone. How do you, hang on, mm-hmm. how do you How do you think he got the, the 
dysentery. Do you think it, did he have a oh a cool sip by the brook while Probably. he was uh, resting himself from dragging a boat, yeah. or or did he was it a little more sordid? Was he like on the way to set one day and was like mm, I'm gonna be bad. I'm gonna have some gas station sushi. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Most directors would have gone home and considered it a day. Yeah. But not Herzog. No, never Herzog. He thought, um, maybe I can get Jack Nicholson to do it. Maybe I can do it. No. Klaus Kinski. Who's Klaus Kinski? He's a German actor. We're going to talk about Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski's friendship someday. Um, because they used to live together. And he made a bunch of movies with Klaus Kinski. Mm-hmm. Even before Fitzcarraldo, they had already worked together. And it was such a volatile relationship to go into it would be like we would be here for another hour, and I'd have we'd have to. I feel like, he, like this is the reason that I'm frightened by Werner Herzog. And Klaus Kinski began to film himself dragging a giant boat across the Peruvian jungle. I cannot stress enough that this was a real boat that a crew really dragged. We're like okay. What were the mechanics of this? Was a man the the the, the main the main boy in so front we're on about, a rope? We're about to get into it. So Herzog, um, when he got to the town, his first uh, thing was he started introdu- like indoctrinating himself into the t- into the town of Iquitos. He went to the local bars. There were some German-owned restaurants, so he was able to speak German with people. And he hired a lot of local Peruvians to work on the film, a lot of extras and a lot of like production stuff. Uh, and and he paid them. He was he made sure to pay them. And this yeah. was in the the like uh, about the end of the first year of shooting, and what they would do was they would just like have a bunch of people pushing this fucking boat, and they put it on. Um, they tried to use sort of a, a, a. He was inspired by the rumors of the like guiding stone systems that they used to bring Stonehenge, where it's like the theories that they had a bunch of logs that oh. they tied together and then okay. put the rocks on it and then dragged. So I think they had like something under the boat that was like more uh, helping to like alleviate like the friction yeah. or something yeah so there so there was some sort of mechanism involved here it was they, not just brute human strength they also uh were were going down a hill which i think helped a lot that would have been incredibly scary yeah. if a boat if the hey the big boat the 410 pound boat is rolling down the hill and it's scooting down the hill like a sled and i'm i'm the main big boy of the film in front with the rope oh uh, klaus kinsey was into that the thing was is that there weren't really any hills in Iquitos. There were hills in, uh, in in different parts of Peru up north that they ended up dragging the actual boat to. Wait, did they go to the wrong spot? They they picked a spot that didn't have a hill, so they had to go find a hill, and the closest hill was like miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. And they had, but listen, to make a movie ab- about a man who dragged a boat, they had to drag the boat from like they didn't plan for the boat right. So they ended up having to do what happened in real life this that they were the, trying to make a movie. This is the point of movies not being real. Yep. So this doesn't have to happen. But here's another problem. That was so hard. There was a border skirmish between Peru and Ecuador that was really violent and put everybody on edge. There was a lot of rumors going around within the crew of locals. Um, there was room, and, and, and it all started from Klaus Kinski, who was just a total diva and was yelling at everybody and was this insane white German man, you know, yelling at a bunch of people in their home turf, which is just like the, a strange and uncomfortable the and awful experience. The optics are not ideal, yes. And it got so bad that a, a very high up member in, in the local area uh, went to Herzog and asked if he wanted him to kill Klaus Kinski for him. 
And and what did no, Bernard say? Okay. No, it's okay. I'll talk to him. I believe is what I'll I'll have a word. Then there was a rumor going around that Werner Herzog participated in the German Holocaust during World War II, which would have been really difficult because it started before he was born. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. And ended when he was three. So that's one of those rumors that just like, chef's kiss. <laughs> Beautiful. But basically they, uh, 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 because of that and f- the feeling that they were being exploited and not being properly treated, which two years into a crazy shoot with this asshole dragging actor a dragging a boat, fucking boat with this actor throwing fits that a boat yeah um they burnt the set down and uh attacked most of the white crew they burned the boat no they burnt the sets that they oh, were making okay. down and like destroyed stuff and and <laughs> you know what? Hurt a Good lot of crew members well i thought that too but they like beat up uh, a bunch of women that was unnecessary oh, it, it yeah, got really out of hand really yeah it got really it was bad news bears for everybody mm-hmm. again most directors would have just gone home. Maybe maybe God doesn't want you this to sounds, make this yeah, project. This sounds like the most ill-advised idea for a movie but maybe nope. I've ever heard. Even though more problems continued, they filmed in the Amazon, which experienced a severe drought. Hey, Tom, you know what boats need to move properly? Water. You know what is not around during a drought? Water. They literally spent months waiting. Crew members. Why? Like, why is, why is it so... I don't know. And that's know. the other thing, too, is like... This is, like, erasing the, the entire slavery aspect of it. Like, it seems r- ludicrous to me to, to motiv- like, motivate yourself for so long to a movie that's not actually really representing the facts accurately or nope. in, like, a just way and is <laughs> lionizing this, like, horrible person... It seems like a, a, just like front to back, just like a, like a bust. Crew members died in a plane crash. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. And a lot of people were injured during filming multiple times because they had to drag a big, big boat. A lot of people got sick with malaria. And there's a story that uh, one person was bitten by a deadly Bushmaster snake and had to cut his leg off so that the poison uh, wouldn't get in. But, and uh, don't worry though, they had a chainsaw to do it. So. What? No. What? No. No. Yeah. They did it with the chainsaw. They did it with the chainsaw. Do you want to know what they use for anesthesia? Uh, whiskey. Prostitute. Wait, I'm yeah. confused as to how that would accomplish fi- fi- anything. I don't know. This sounds... Yeah. What the fuck? So, my Movie, theory... Like, what? Like, nothing is worth this. Nothing is worth this. Yeah. Uh, the crew basically maintained on a diet of fermented alcohol, this like Peruvian fermented alcohol that they made that basically got everybody fucking crazy all, drunk all the time. And there were was like a booming brothel industry in Peru, so they would just like party every night uh, and then like drag a big boat in the morning. So it was a off-the-rails shoot, to say the least. Why would you not like shut this thing down... And I just want to reiterate that Klaus Kinski dragged a 340-ton steamboat in this movie in real life. It was was it just him? Did they have people there was at the couple, back of the boat like pushing? Or there something? were a, there were a couple shots where it was like just like shots of just him trying to drag it, but it was you know mostly dragged by an entire crew. But the movie is so that you could see one person drag a boat. <sighs> Did it release? Is that where we're going? Is that where we're approaching? Two other boats were used for interior and onboard scenes, including one where um, basically uh, uh, in the film, the, the indigenous people let the boat go to destroy it. 
and so Herzog and Kinski were like, well, we should be on the boat to film it so we get like on can- like on bo- board destruction. Sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm so drunk on this fermented Peruvian <laughs> alcohol. Gotta be on this ship uh, when it crashes. Three cameramen suffered concussions and broke ribs. Uh, the particularly unfortunate Thomas Mach, already missing part of his toe after a piranha attack, had his <laughs> hand split open, and because, again, there was no anesthesia, they once again they used got a, sex a prostitute. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? what hang this on a second. In, no, 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 no. I have to. I, I'm oh, so I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm about to get into it. No, 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 no. I have to. I have to stick on this for a second. What the fuck is this supposed to do as anesthetic? I like, have no idea. Like, are you, like... Hey, Apparently don't get me what wrong. she did is she like cradled his head and just told him that she loved him over and over again. What? I don't know. I don't know, dude. That's what I found. I don't understand. I don't. Like, no, I'm not even kidding. Like, this sounds like something with it. Warner Herzog should be tried in the fucking Hague. <laughs> I kind of should. 25 years later, the old steamship still sits rusting in the Iquitos. Its prow still bent over the impact of that final collision. On the waterfront promenade, the Fitzcarraldo Bar and Restaurant display a masthead and assorted posters of the film still on its walls. Though few locals can tell you much about it, it's not exactly a happy memory for anyone. A documentarian named Les Blank actually joined the shoot from the beginning. Uh, the documentary is called Burned of Dreams. A lot of people consider it better than Fitzcarraldo. Herzog gives a memorable soliloquy for the entire four-year marathon that it was. The trees here are in misery, and the birds are in misery. I don't think they sing. They screech in pain. So we are cursed with what we are doing here. It's a land that God, if he exists, has created in anger. That's super fucking racist. Mm-hmm. Fitzcarraldo won Herzog Best Director at Cannes in uh, 82. <sighs> Probably no one will ever need to do again what I did, says Herzog, looking back on his most famous and difficult film. I am a conquistador of the useless. Man, yeah, like, hey, dude, way to, like, kind of hit the nail on the head there. Congratulations, does, does you, you played make yourself. Does not you a good person all of a sudden. Holy shit, I had no idea. I, I thought he was just kind of, like, a weird, dark, fake, deep, like, auteur figure. But that's horrible. That's awful. Anyways, sometimes <laughs> on... What in the fuck? <laughs> Been a while, right? Where am I right now? Anyways, sometimes we talk about, like, insanely fucked up shit what the fuck Werner Herzog you could have gone you're Werner Herzog you can go home you can be like hey this was a bad idea he went back to Germany multiple times of course it did and he has to get it refinanced to good lord to to balance out like what in the fuck is going on uh we talk about what the fuck we talk about like nice things sometimes too. This is, on this this show? is how Dave Anthony feels every episode I, of the Dollop, and like, it's like fucking I feel jasmine. Like, like my brain it's, it's is lavender for my soul. Oh, uh, anyways, sometimes on this program, I break Tom's brain. We talk mind. about like heinous things heinous that shit. that on no level should have ever occurred. And they're really rough and emotionally draining to listen to and hear about. And we like to balance that out with the segment that we call Self-Care Corner, where we talk about something nice and fun that happened in our lives and weeks. And please, God, Liam, go first. Puppy. Oh, yeah. We have a sweet little puppy, and her name is Rhoda. Rhoda Morgenstern. And she's a little fucking fried chicken dog. She's a bucket of fried chicken. Love her. And she's everything. Um, 
my self-care corner so uh i'm i'm i like write music in my spare time because like i don't know like one day like maybe like a decade from now i want to sit down and like actually record things um i've been writing a song about like being a, 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 a like a member of the queer community and seeing a lot of uh you know queer coded villains and that gay representation and sort of like how a lot of members of our community have learned to embrace the sort of villainous aspects of uh queer coded fictional characters uh, which is a very uh complex issue but uh, i realized that in writing the song the hook is the same on it except a different rhythm as that of the theme song of Yuri on Ice, everybody's favorite gay figure skating anime. Uh, and I fucking felt that that was extremely appropriate. And I don't know, it's really fun. When you write music, you discover that you accidentally are writing different versions of other people's songs sometimes. And like, that's always like a fun thing. And I thought it was like, hey, like I accidentally did like a thematically appropriate musical homage. That's convenient and cool. So that's my self-care Subconscious, corner. man. Your subconscious was guiding you the whole time. Yeah. That's yeah. magic right there. Anyways, if you want to contact us, you can email us at mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. Hey, send in a self-care corner. We'll read it on the air because everybody likes to hear about nice things happening to people. If you want to follow us on Twitter, do so at MediaMagesCast. Follow the MagerCast Network on Facebook. And hey, check out some of the other shows on the network. Oh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps out small podcasts like us. And we love to get feedback. Anyways, thanks for listening to another episode of Media Majors. Our 75th. Our 75th episode. Holy moly, we're not eligible for certain insurance anymore. Wow, <laughs> inside of that baseball. <laughs> well, then catch us next week when we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun. Stay nasty and stay major.